Insurance professionals work hard every day to keep people safe. But as technology transforms the industry, how can insurers protect not only their clients, but also shield themselves from ever-changing cyber risks? My name is Elizabeth Blossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. and welcome to the Insuring Cyber Podcast. February is a very exciting month because it's Insurance Careers Month, and we have a couple of great guests joining the podcast this week. They'll talk about how the insurance industry is recruiting talent and staying innovative. They'll also discuss what insurance employees are looking for in a workplace these days, how to build a career in the insurance industry, and why staying curious is a good thing, especially in the ever-changing world of cyber insurance. You might recognize our first guest, He was actually with us all the way back at the beginning in episode 10. This is now episode 55, which is very exciting. On a previous episode, Darren McGraw, president of Meckelson Private Client, spoke with me about cyber risks in the high net worth space. Now he's back on the podcast to talk about his own career in insurance and his best advice for employees seeking to grow their skills and move their insurance careers forward. Darren's been in the risk management field since 1991 and is a founding member of the Private Risk Management Association, as well as its Western Region Chapter co-founder and co-chair. Check out our conversation. Hi, Darren. It's great to be speaking with you again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy that you're back on the podcast. I was looking back at um, some of our previous episodes, and I realized that you came on in episode 10 to talk about cyber risks for high net worth communities. Um, Yeah. So yeah, this is episode 55 now. So thanks for bearing with us right at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. No, thank you for having me again. Yeah, of course. So this episode is for Insurance Careers Month. So I wanted to sort of start off just kind of talking about your own career and background. Um, You know, so I was curious what initially led you to the risk management and insurance industry. And, you know, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned so far in your career? Um, Probably not too original of a story getting into the insurance business. I needed a job. I just was on the hunt for almost anything back in my younger days. And I was uh, with a placement agency uh, in Seattle that had close contacts with Safeco Insurance. And that's how I got the original interview with Safeco. And Safeco had a great reputation and history of training and education. And um, I think had a culture and a track record of developing its own managers and executives. And that attracted to me and appealed to my desire for uh, expansion. And why I kind of thought I'd figure out what I wanted to do. And like it happens, sometimes it just kind of stuck. The company um, proved to be true at their word at the time of uh, providing almost what felt like limitless opportunity. And um, I also really enjoyed the quality of the people that were hired. So anyway, just kind of got into my blood, so to speak. And I had the opportunity to serve in positions that were probably well beyond my abilities at the time, but they gave me that opportunity and let me grow into them. And I got to work in Claims department, human resources, agency technology, and then uh, finished in sales and marketing. So I got to do a lot of different things. And that was all in the first, you know, 10 years of a career. So I got a lot of chance to uh, experience a lot. And I owe that all to Safeco. And then I left the uh, company side to go to the agency side in uh, 2001 and have been here ever since. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, well, it sounds like you got a wide variety of experience right at the beginning and have built a really great career since then. Um, you know, were there any mentors or advice that you received early in your career that sort of helped you in that process? 
Yeah, I, I always have said this, that the best manager I ever had was a gentleman by the name of Lane Bailey in the claims department at Safeco. And he was so helpful and instrumental. I mean, not just professionally, but um, just growing up and maturing in quote unquote, the real world. Uh, he was a caring person, but he had very high standards. And um, I would, as I just kind of thought about him, I always think he was really good at developing people with two main areas of focus and like leadership style. He was very big on helping us understand the importance of doing your homework so that you know what you're talking about. And then the other one was having the confidence to make a decision. You know, the homework part is important because especially in claims, you're dealing with something so personal and visceral as someone else's loss and you don't want to just wing it. And then he also was really big on making decisions because he'd always say, uh, we're paying you a salary to move the ball forward. And that was helpful on just uh, understanding that mistakes happen, but you learn from mistakes. But if you don't have the courage and confidence to uh, make decisions and move things forward, then you're not really um, providing much value if you just examine possibilities. So I, I would say Lane Bailey was probably the most influential early mentor. And I think of him often. Yeah, that's great. And that sounds like great advice, especially for building a career in insurance. So yeah. that's awesome. And I know that the insurance workforce sort of overall has undergone a lot of changes recently because of the pandemic and technology and, you know, just an aging workforce. So what are some of the biggest workforce changes that you've observed recently in the industry? Hmm. Well, I, I've always been impressed and have said many times at um, how great the quality of people are in our industry and I have found over 32 years, so many good friendships with caring, funny, and interesting people in the industry. I think that's one of the best kept secrets about maybe our industry is that there's a lot of fun, really good people. It, it seems to me like perhaps maybe the industry now has more people uh, filling jobs, maybe, and fewer people building careers. And that's just kind of my general sense. And I know not every job you ever do has to lead to a career. And I know that our industry shouldn't be expected to attract everyone to it forever but it does kind of feel to me like maybe there's a shift in why people are doing what they're doing and I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a malaise because I regularly interact with some amazing performers and experts but it seems like I run into fewer and fewer who are curious about their role and how it affects or shares the space with what other people do it almost seems like there's more um robotic in nature, I guess, than maybe a symbiotic understanding. And maybe if that sounds like too squishy, maybe a concrete example that I feel on a regular basis is that, and this sounds like I'm piling on on underwriting, which is a sport for agents. And I don't mean it to, but it's just a real life example that sometimes we'll come across an underwriting position that's a no, and it needs to be a no. But then I have the job of turning back to real people and trying to explain it. And when an underwriter can't explain to me the rationale of the no, because maybe that hasn't been explained to them, then they don't get the development opportunity. I don't have the opportunity to show my professional reputation to my clients because it doesn't look like maybe I understand. And then the impact the underwriter feels is reduced quite a bit. And I just think that kind of generally separates and distances ourselves from our clients. So, and I'm not, again, picking on underwriting. It's just, it seems to permeate other departments and agencies as well. If you're just doing a job, it's hard to grow. And while there's lots of people doing great work, it feels like they're fewer interested in development. 
Yeah. And that's an important point. It's important to go beyond just sort of going through the motions and really prioritize growth and development as well. So that makes sense. And I like the point you made about the people in the industry too. I found that to be true. Um, just from having these kinds of conversations, there are a lot of really great people in insurance. Oh, without question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know there's been a lot of talk, you sort of mentioned this about insurance being a traditional legacy industry, but it seems like a lot more insurers recently are starting to embrace technology. And I was curious how you've seen technology contributing to some of these changes in workforce culture and the hiring process in insurance. Yeah, I really like your question related to workforce culture, because I think um, sometimes it feels like technology can be used as a euphemism for now you can do more work. And I think that would be wrong. I think sometimes we make those assumptions that technology is just there so that we can get more stuff done, you know, kind of a, uh, kind of a productivity play. Um, but how does the technology help the employee make a bigger impact? I mean, that's the really good question. You know, how does technology elevate an employee's importance and how does technology help employees use their judgment? I mean, that would be, that would be amazing, you know, cause I don't think that employee productivity automatically means more employee value. You know, and although it's clear that technology has helped in many ways, I'm not sure yet if I would say I see it contributing positively to workforce culture, which is the word you use. And I really like that. And I'd, all, I'd be in favor of technology contributing to culture, but I wonder if it's even a metric that anyone wants to measure as a consequence of adopting technology. So I would totally agree with you that technology is um, obviously an investment of importance in the insurance industry. And we certainly see it related to uh, maybe speed and ease with which consumers feel their claim is handled. But I don't know on the workforce culture part, if I'd want to plant my flag and say, I've seen it improve in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good, honest answer and an interesting perspective on that, because I think you're right. Technology does sort of contribute to speed and efficiency, but sometimes that means more work on the back end, which doesn't necessarily positively impact workforce culture. So it's sort of about striking a balance there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, and I know you mentioned this earlier that hiring can be kind of challenging in insurance right now with some of the talent gaps. Um, and I've spoken with several insurers who have said the same thing, you know, so I was curious what advice you would give to insurers for finding and recruiting the right talent. And then also building that workplace culture you just spoke about that sort of helps retain employees. Yeah. Well, in thinking about to some of my comments on the career building, and again, I wouldn't expect everybody who is interviewing for a job is going to say at the outset that they want to 40-year career in insurance. I, I realize that, but I do think we can do things as an industry to put ourselves in the best possible chance that we might attract those people and convince them to stay. So, or stay. so I would be looking for the, the characteristic of curiosity. You know, seek the curious. You know, make curiosity a sought-after quality when interviewing for any position. Because I've found those who are curious are the most likely to want to invest in their own professionalism you know, and those who want to invest in their own professionalism typically are those who are most likely to exceed expectations more regularly than those who don't. And by having someone who's interested in maybe exploring how other parts of the organization works, you know, there's your future cross-trained professional. You know, if the, and if you find someone who's curious about a particular subject matter's technical details, you know, there's your future senior level expert in any particular department. And if someone seems to be curious about other people and how to lead, then there's a future management. I just believe that curiosity leads to learning, which leads to understanding, which leads to caring, which then leads to contributing. And I think a company who nurtures that 
might get all of that return under their roof. Yeah, curiosity, I agree with you, is definitely an important trait. And, you know, keeping with this conversation about hiring and insurance, you know, I know that cyber insurance is an exciting, fast-paced industry, but I've heard from some of those, you know, on the outside that maybe it doesn't always seem like that to new employees. So how can the industry do a better job of helping new professionals understand the industry and how dynamic and, you know, fascinating it is? Yeah. Yeah, because I think cyber risk is exciting because everyone loves a good story, you know, and the stories of cybercrime and who is, you know, perpetuating it and how they accomplish it. It seems kind of like dark magic sometimes. I mean, you read some of these things and it's like, that's fascinating. So it's a good topic for a good story. And the consequences of those stories are so shocking and frustrating and maddening that it kind of, I think, captures people's desire to want to do something about it. At least that's my experience. And, you know, when you do, it doesn't take much investigation to maybe get overwhelmed by the sheer volume of information about cybersecurity you know, by the complexity of the technology used by the bad guys and the myths that people believe that kind of feed apathy, fear, and inaction. But I think the industry has actually done a really good job of understanding this and has made efforts to synthesize so much information by producing some really great education on the topic. I mean, the Private Risk Management Association, for example, just released an online on-demand cybersecurity risk management series that I think is excellent. And I think the next investment the industry can make is to convince ourselves, that we have an opportunity to contribute more as influencers of loss mitigation and not just loss financing. And that might be the next step for this moving from the cyber's exciting to then insurance. What if we kind of took a step towards being influencers of changes of behavior? So I, I think maybe a better, um, I can't think of a better industry to place itself in the path of someone's desire for defense than us. I mean, we already have the processes for risk management, the protocols. We basically own the applicable lingo. When we talk about risk identification, risk control, risk financing, loss recovery, I mean, that's, that's our, those are our terms. And I know that we're looked to be the relational, relational uh, expert by other advisors. So maybe my answer to your question is that maybe first we take ownership of our opportunity to give more than just an additional line of insurance coverage. And having that belief that we can make a difference is the starting point. And then we can take those fascinating stories and that excitement and relate it directly to the things that we're trying to accomplish every day. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it definitely does seem like the insurance industry has been investing a lot more in education. You know, and one thing I've been interested in is that I've heard from some that it makes sense to sort of hire from various talent pools to bring more diversity of thought into the industry, and maybe health insurers sort of find different ways to stay on top of all the cyber risk. So have you seen more professionals coming into cyber insurance from other industries? And if so, you know, what have you seen as the benefits of this approach? Yeah, I love I love that idea. I love it for cyber and I love it for other things as well. You know, cyber is a great example because it's it's complex and I want to say it's new, but there's kind of a modern risk kind of flavor to it. And yeah, I think the larger uh, body of knowledge and the broader the skill sets harvested to help us respond, absolutely the better. You know, most obvious case could be made for, you know, true technical cybersecurity experts to be brought in. I think that's great. Um, other opportunities, I think, exist for um, maybe professionals in um, adult or professional education, like a firm that I know and care a great amount for, New Level Partners, can help us synthesize and efficiently distribute training and knowledge. Uh, law enforcement can help the script immediate response techniques to help link loss recovery with future loss prevention. Uh, software developers can help us design meaningful consumer-facing products to help illustrate 
paths that they can take towards desired outcomes. I think the wealth management firms can be brought in to help us imagine ways to influence large scale family behaviors. Yeah, I think all of these are important factors. And I mean, we can't be experts at them all. But yeah, I have seen in numerous occasions how we uh, can involve willing uh, experts in other fields to lend their expertise uh, when we all agree and know how serious these risks really are. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see how the workforce continues to evolve as, you know, it taps into some of these other pools of talent as well. And kind of with that in mind, you know, for brand new professionals in the cyber insurance workforce, I was curious what your advice is to them for sort of keeping up with all the changes and the challenges that seem to pop up in cyber. Yeah, maybe no surprise based on my comment about curiosity, but just stay interested in learning about new developments And maybe to keep a central focus on the few important things that you can do about it. I mean, if you're not running a cybersecurity tactical response center, you know, keeping an an eye on the day-to-day fast pace of change might not be the most important thing. I mean, do read a lot and regularly check out a few cybersecurity information sites. But I think I'd probably spend as much time on developing my skills on how to be influential and helping people make decisions and change behaviors. I mean, I found more success learning how to relate simple cybersecurity behaviors to other risk management behaviors versus the complex cybersecurity defense. And maybe that's because it's more in my wheelhouse. And frankly, it's probably more of what's expected by my clients. I mean, it's more natural for me to relate to clients' similarities between making sure they use a virtual private network and making sure they set their house alarm or doing their software updates, relating that to the similar expectations that they do roof maintenance or talking to their kids about good cyber hygiene like they do about safe driving. So I guess my point is that maybe my advice is keeping up on all the technical stuff behind cybersecurity is great, but I think we're more impactful and it's more reasonable for us to spend time learning about relating to clients and developing skills that draw you closer to being a solution instigator on the topic. Because I don't think we're expected to become cybersecurity experts but I think we are expected to become an expert on how to talk about and approach what can be done about cybersecurity. Yeah, I think that sounds like great advice. And this has overall been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Of course. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. I loved getting a chance to catch up with Darren again, and especially loved his advice for those working in insurance to stay curious in such a fast-changing industry. Our next guest, Sylvester Mathis, who's the chief insurance officer at Insurity, had similar advice for insurers. He said curiosity and an open mindset is particularly important as more insurers are looking to recruit talent from various industries outside of insurance, like technology, and bring in a diverse range of talent from all kinds of backgrounds. Fostering an environment of curiosity, empowerment, and continued learning, he said, is a recipe for retaining employees. But Sylvester said it isn't just retention employers should be after. He said a piece of talent development that isn't often talked about is empowering employees to reach their career goals no matter what, even if that means letting go of traditional 10 or 20-year retention rates. Former employees can be their company's greatest spokespeople, so helping them shine, even if it means they aren't with your company forever, is usually in your favor. I thought that was great advice. You'll also hear me mention a book in this interview, Creativity, Inc., written by Ed Catmull and journalist and author Amy Wallace. I referred to Ed as the president of Pixar and just wanted to clarify that he's a co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios and the former president of both Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios. 
It was the morning. I hadn't had enough coffee yet, and I didn't want there to be any confusion. But my point stands. It's a great read. I enjoyed speaking with Sylvester for this interview. He has a ton of experience not only working in insurance himself, but mentoring and speaking to new generations of insurance professionals. He shared with me his best advice for them and what he's learned throughout his career. Here's what he had to say. Hi, Syl. It's great to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing really well, thanks. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to speaking with you um, because I know that February is Insurance Careers Month, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation about how the insurance industry is working to recruit and retain talent. Um, But I wanted to kind of start off just sort of asking about your own background, how you found a career in the insurance industry and what, you know, ultimately led you to insurity. Sure. Uh, That's great. So it's probably not much different from other folks that ended up in insurance, meaning it was never the plan. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> I completed that. So I, I ended up in this. Uh, I was in the Marines and then I ended up going to the uh, University of Arkansas and I was um, actually a finance major. And I ended up with a, uh, an internship rotation program at Navistar Financial, which used to be International Harvester. I think it's International Harvester again. Um, but um, there was an internship and it was within their insurance group. And their insurance group had a rotation program that put me through claims underwriting, uh, finance and marketing. And at the end of it, you know, you get job offers within those disciplines and you get to choose. And I was young. And so for some reason, truck accidents fascinated me. And so I took the claims job and the uh, the claims job has just led to um, one thing after another. Um, what I really enjoyed about that uh, going into claims was I had an interest in not only what had occurred, but just how we could resolve some of the issues that were happening on the receiving end. So I went through, gosh, a number of promotions that were in multiple disciplines, leadership positions in claims, underwriting operations, shared services, regulatory, PMO. I was even chief of staff at uh, Interstate Insurance Company. Um, But even with all those roles, it's really been um, within four companies, Uh, Fireman's Fund, Allianz, um, Girling Global, and and Navistar. Uh, I joined Insurity in 2006 surprisingly, I guess you could say, uh, because insurance had become somewhat mundane and I've been on that side of the carrier. I understood the issues we were dealing with and it was always kind of, you know, rinse and repeat. I was wondering or curious what the partner side was like. And I'd never worked with insurity and I did that intentionally, but I joined to actually be um, the leader of the client services organization, which is kind of the conduit between the insurity solutions and um, its its customers and, and the market itself. And, um, From there, I went into sales, leading the strategic sales team. And then prior, or actually as I was transitioning into this role in 2020, um, I was actually the interim chief sales officer uh, as the organization looked for um, a new chief sales officer. So um, that's kind of how I got here. And I've been in this role as chief insurance officer since, since 2020. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like you have a really impressive career with a lot of experience. So I'm glad that you're here, you know, talking about this topic today. And it's funny that you mentioned just sort of falling into insurance, because that's actually my favorite question to ask people, because everyone sort of has the same answer that they just found the insurance industry, um, you know, sort of by accident, but then everyone always has a really interesting story about how they got into it. Um, So thanks for sharing some of your background. Um, And then, you know, since you've been working in insurance, what have you found is sort of the best thing about your career? Yeah, this answer has changed over time. Um, So uh, when I began, I just enjoyed, you know, kind of the nonstop learning. And I I think I mentioned I was fascinated by claims, Um, the whole idea of the promise and the delivery against that promise, um, because, you know, promises matter. And, you know, when a claim occurs, that promise is between the insurer and the insured, and you get the opportunity to be a face of that promise keeper, um, for lack of a better term. It's just integrity. 
Um, I think that's changed. I'm, I'm as fascinated as I was then, but now it's I'm more in line with my personal life. Uh, it, I'm really fulfilled by helping other people, whether it's my time or the resources or my sharing my experiences. Um, I think I mentioned to you, I just you know spent time with Georgia State students yesterday. Um, I just find that the better things in life always come by giving others, and that's what we do um, as insurers. Um, I think um, we're helping businesses, um, you know, basically transfer risk and enabling them to do other great things without that hanging over their head. Unfortunately, um, making people whole or companies whole isn't always how we're perceived. And so um, right now, I'd say my my enjoyment is the same, but uh, the industry perception is the only thing that might taint that great feeling I have about uh, working in insurance. Yeah, I love that answer. It definitely is a great career to have if you're interested in helping people. Um, so I think that's a great answer. And um, I know we were talking just before this about um, you speaking with Georgia State University students, and I'd love to hear more about that in a little bit. Um, I know we were also, you know, touching on just before this recording how, you know, insurance is sort of facing a talent gap right now. It's it's also a difficult economic environment. Um, you know, so I was curious what your advice is for insurers, um, you know, for how they can sort of build a workplace that attracts and retains talent. Yeah, th this is um, this is going to be a little bit nuanced. So I think that you know we can talk about the innovation first because that's that's a big part of it, uh, making the job more intuitive and, and more of a natural extension of, of folks their personal lives. I think you and you and I kind of spoke to um, just the remote working aspects of it, um, making it more um, in line with what people view as the holistic part of their life. I think being able to attract talent that comes in that sees themselves as not just being um, a work and a person, but a person at work. And that actually changes the dynamics of the workplace that we create. Um, I also think that diversity is a really, really big deal. Um, when we talk about going across um, various industries to attract talent, given some of the challenges in the economic in environment and this gap that we've been facing, by the way, for 15 years, um, it's just been growing. Um, I think people look for things that are softer. Um, they want a, a business that mirrors you know, the world they live in, or at least the world they want, right? And integrity, again, it, it comes right back to that. So that transparency through your technology, things like um, being able to demonstrate to the people you're trying to bring, bring in how you're fair to your end consumer, how transparent you are with your own employees around your business strategy and the purpose behind it. I think that plays a big, uh, big role. And there's so much data at our fingertips right now um, I think people have an opportunity to evaluate um, companies the same way they would evaluate individuals. And so we have to be very careful and very cognizant of our reputation, um, not only as employers and as an industry, but holistically um, as you know, actors in this entire uh, global phenomenon that we're going through, which is an economic challenge um, that we're facing. <clears throat> I don't know if that's too um, broad, and if you want to do more detail, I I'll definitely do that. But I think we as insurers, um, and insurance vendors, um, we have to look beyond the economics for a moment. Economics are important. The tools are important. Gaining efficiencies are important. But I also think there's a softer side um, of this that's more personal for employers or employees that uh, we're missing the opportunity. And, and I think that's an area where we can improve if we really want to retain more talent or even attract talent. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I love what you said about wanting a business that mirrors the world we live in. I think that's a great way to summarize what employees are looking for in a career right now. They want fulfillment. Um, so that makes sense. And, you know, I know that kind of leads into my next question as well, because I know insurance is kind of known for being a little bit slower to adopt change. But, you know, you just 
spoke about and have spoken before about how it's important for insurers to invest in tech innovation, especially if they want to create an environment that attracts talent. So can you talk a little bit more about what you're seeing as far as tech innovation in the industry, you know, what you've seen insurers doing well and what still needs to change? Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny that you said that you're so kind, just a little risk averse and a little slow. Yeah. That's, that's a statement. <laughs> so, the, so we, we are, we are incredibly slow uh, at moving. So I, I'll tell you, there's, there's a couple of things that are, that are happening that have accelerated this, um, you know, the insured text uh, era, which really is just, you know, in, you can, you could say the entire insurance industry is insured tech, but let's use the buzzword for a minute. Insured tech, um, those folks that have created those differentiated uh, customer experiences, and they've taken advantage of things uh, in analytics like AI, machine learning, um, all being applied to that elementary insurance process. I think that's, that's a really, really big deal, right? And so what I'm seeing is that on one side, you've got the insured techs that are finding new ways to accelerate um, that customer experience and keep the gap between themselves and traditional uh, insurers. But at the same time, they're struggling on the underwriting side because they most of them launched these businesses with, without an insurance background. And so what seems um, pretty predictable through science, um, they're finding there's still some art um, depending on the risk that you're going after. And typically that's been on the MGA side. So the MGAs um, have that have kind of launched as insured techs are those that are growing. They've kind of come to the realization that they are the product innovation arm of the industry now. And so their ability to take <clears throat> data, carve out and uh, personalize some of the risk that's out there. So customers are paying for the risk that really mirrors their behavior. Great. On the carrier side, um, what I'm seeing is that folks are trying to create these digital models that allow them to uh, basically evolve their business um, their, their their operations. So for example, what used to be a really contentious relationship between the MGAs and carriers has completely changed. It's turned on its head. Um, carriers that understand that data has now allowed a different level of product segmentation, in most cases don't have that localized experience and specialized handling for that more unique, discrete offering. And so they're partnering with MGAs. That's forcing MGAs to invest a heck of a lot more in end-to-end, -end, robust, full lifecycle systems versus distribution. But it's forcing the carriers to have um, these more modern platforms that allow them to expose some of the functionality that's required still for back-end operations and regulatory, right? Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> keeping the, the uh, appropriate line of kind of delineation separating those two worlds. So it's uh, it, it's kind of unique in that regard. Um, I'd say that the other piece that's out there is dealing with the talent gap specifically. So if I can use products that are coming through, you know, MGAs who certainly have um, an advantage in that regard, then I have to find out what does that do to change the way I operate on my side. So again, AI and analytics, I need collaboration. Um, the collaboration has to be a tool. That tool is probably going to work best in the cloud. So what used to be, you know, what, 10 years ago, everyone was still clamoring about data security and control and um, not wanting to have that in a, in a cloud, be it public or private, <clears throat> that's gone, right? I mean, it, it's all cloud first now. And so that collaboration for anywhere, anytime access, it enables the business continuity for any organization, not just insurance. And insurance has come to adapt to that changing work environment. And they're starting to meet some of the evolving needs of their customers and their partners. <clears throat> does that does that help answer your question? Because you know, I told you I can go on for a long time. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's a great overview of how the industry is sort of starting to embrace these tech tools. And, you know, I've, it's funny, I've heard, you know, people on this podcast describe the industry as a big ship that takes a lot of time and effort to turn, but it does sound like it's starting to make that shift. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Um, you know, and I know that another way that the industry is sort of trying to move forward is that I've spoken with a lot of professionals who say insurers are trying to look to bring in talent from outside industries to sort of increase the range of backgrounds um, in the industry. And, you know, you've mentioned that because of this competition for talent is difficult because insurers are also competing with other industries like tech. Um, so what can insurers do to sort of set themselves apart and be leaders um, in terms of innovation and attracting the right talent? I'm sure tech plays a part in that as well. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, excuse me, I think based on, you know, what I've seen in the last or more recent years, uh, you know, we are no longer, to your point, competing with other carriers or, or carriers aren't competing with carriers and MGAs um, for talent as the technical or technology world has become so deeply ingrained and integrated with insurance. What we're really competing for is about half of the businesses is really has a technology dependent, te technology oriented role. And so competing has to look a lot like the technology companies that are out there. So where this starts to become a challenge um, or has been a challenge for insurance is that first we have to be honest and, and be fairly creative. Um, we have to challenge ourselves in, in new ways to attract talent and then that diversity I spoke to earlier, but I'll give you some examples. Um, you know, one is you know, we've seen degrees become, you know, a barrier to entry and at some level, um, we know that some of the most creative and successful, intelligent entrepreneurs of our time in other industries, to be specific, um, have chosen alternate paths to success, frequently skipping college or leaving early. In no way does that mean that they're not uh, capable of contributing to the long-term success of a, of a vendor or a carrier or an MGA. Uh, and we're starting to see some of these larger corporations do away with this requirement, which is starting to get more in line with what you see from a Google or a Yahoo and others that realize that some of their best you know, entrepreneurial developers and analysts and, and thought leaders didn't finish a college degree. I'm not taking away from, from degrees at all. You know, I made sure my children uh, went and pursued degrees, but I think we've allowed it to be um, somewhat of a barrier to success. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we also have to pursue people who think differently. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, celebrate the differences and promote culture that brings people together, you know, valuing everyone's differences and unique contributions. That's a cultural shift that insurance companies have not yet fully embraced. I mean, it's one thing to say it, but how you demonstrate it, is it demonstrable? Is it felt day to day? Give an example, right? We, we have such a rigid thought process around the risk profiles that we write that we don't allow the entrepreneurial thinking for someone to actually suggest a different way of doing something, a different um, experience for the customer that's completely removed um, from what we would have expected. You know, some of the insure techs that came along have created these models that allow the, the policyholder to drive a tremendous percentage of the claims process, a tremendous percentage of the underwriting. And they're using analytics and MI to just drive and protect. But at the end of the day, if you get outside of what's comfortable or acceptable, you kick it over to, um, you know, another resource that has that deep, you know, art side of it. I think we have to allow people to create those types of environments where even suggesting a customer driving 100% of their claims process isn't immediately rejected, it's validated, and then you try to see if it's possible. And then I think, you know, one of the two last points I'm going to make, one is around educating the industry as a whole. 
Um, we have to educate the, in the industry, um, the future insurance professionals and the consumers. Um, our behaviors really do set us apart. And I think you see a lot of this in insurance commercials with the lighter side of business being highlighted through humor or real life experiences, or in some cases, just reassurance presence. That's just a, it's a form of conditioning and, and, and changing the expectation of insurers. Um, what's our purpose? Like when people look to marry themselves to a career, what is the purpose of the business I'm joining? What am I contributing to? Google's known for a search engine, but that's something that people see as in the day-to-day -day life helping other folks, some kind of way, right? Microsoft has operating systems and an office. Again, people understand that, helps us be more efficient in what we do personally and professionally. A Tesla is like Elon Musk and, you know, he's known for green and not just money, right? It's what is insurance known for? Unfortunately, um, you know, it's kind of perceived as taking money, denying claims and punitive measures if a policyholder um, or, you know, ever has to ask the insurer to deliver against that promise. We have to change that perception because it's changing the way we're viewed by those potential candidates. And then finally, you know, I think I mentioned the technology making a difference, but people want to move their careers forward. And so antiquated operating systems that don't scream, you know, opportunity, that's a barrier. If what you're asking me to do and what I'm measured against to be successful in my job is more complex than what I would see as a comparable process, I can do it on my own cell phone for myself, that's a problem. And while that's oversimplified, I think that is something insurers have to get over all the, you know, all the older um, technologies and the experiences that employees have, that is definitely, um, that's problematic. It's definitely pro problematic. And the one thing we know it's not, and people would like to argue this, but I can tell you I've done a study on it, it's not salaries. Insurance salaries have skyrocketed um, in the last what, five, six years. Um, we're on par uh, in terms of vendors and carriers with any industry, and yet we're still struggling to attract and retain talent. Um, it tells me it's bigger than money. Um, it's the experience and, and the value that the, the individual feels they're getting from being a part of your organization. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And you touched on something that we've spoken a lot about on this podcast, you know, in the past, you know, bringing in employees who can bring diversity of thought to the industry who are from all different backgrounds and sort of recognizing that there are many different paths to success. So I think that's an important framework for insurers to be thinking about as they're looking to, you know, attract new talent. And I know that you've done a lot of public speaking um, and that you've, you've worked to mentor, you know, students in risk management and insurance. Um, so in your work doing that, you know, what have you found that you know, younger employees or, you know, maybe new employees who are entering the insurance workforce are looking for in a work environment? What are some of their, you know, top things that they're looking for? Oh, I love this question because this, we spent almost half of our time yesterday on this topic. So it's, it's, it's really a great question. So I mentioned, I spent this time with, with Georgia State, right? And um, it's funny, they're not looking to spend the next 20 let me rephrase that, 40 years with anyone, right? So we need to get over that entirely. What they're looking for, and this was the vast majority of the group, is a springboard to some form of autonomy and business ownership. And, and what that tells me is that we have to change our thinking um, around um, retention. So, you know, some of what can help us move this industry forward is understanding and accepting that most of the people that can help us be successful can't be retained long-term. If we can just move that thought out of our heads and understand that that's not the world that we grew up in, but it's the world we're in today. And so we have to make a plan that not only anticipates the transition through the phases of growth for our candidates, but also embraces the opportunity to flourish 
and help them flourish as entrepreneurs when the time comes. And how does that happen? You have to empower and give them a safe place to be entrepreneurs. Now, understanding you have a very short runway. And so when I think about the retention side and what they're looking for, there's a meeting there. There's a, there's a spot. That's a, it's a sweet spot for us. They bring a lot of things that are so uninformed by the legacy influences that insurers, insurance professionals like myself have that they're going to have this idea of how do we do things different, better, you know, I hate to use the term, but faster and cheaper, but better, it means, you know, how they would want to see things done. How do we, how do we empower that and, and help them do that more effectively? And then this whole retention piece, stop putting them in a box. They don't want to be in a box. You know, yes, re the remote piece is kind of table stakes now, but just not having them in this three to four year window that limits their growth in that three to four. First of all, you're probably not going to have them because the average employee between the age of 24 and 34 has got a tenure of like three point, what is it, three years, 3.5, something like that. And then the average tenure for employees 65 and up is like 10.3 years. And then when you look at the tenure for professionals in our space, if I'm just calling, you know, managers, professionals, and any related occupation that fall in this based on the labor department, you're like five, five and a half years. Most of these folks who are trying to attract and retain aren't at the management level yet. And so we have to be able to say to them, look, this is a path to your goals, whatever those goals are. Most of that being entrepreneurial, most of that allowing them to do things, you know, I hate the term outside the box, but do things with the autonomy that's not only safe, but rewarded. Let their feedback be heard and let them see that feedback um, become part of what your plan is going forward. One of the things we do here um, at Insurity is we have the innovation office and, and the innovation office sounds like it's a product driven organization. It's not. Our innovation office is driven by feedback that we get from our employees first. Some of the you know sales reps that are hearing it pass on information from existing customers or prospects, including our customer service group. Some of our product owners will hear things coming up as feature functionality and they'll bring that in. But what's more important is that if it is from any of those sources, which is predominantly our employees, they can see that idea go into this innovation office. They can see it ranked and prioritized. They see plans and assessments against it, and they'll see that become reality, and they can even contribute to whatever that product's going to be. We're launching two products this year that came directly from that type of of, of model where feedback and the innovation started with a thought in an employee's head. And in both cases, those employees hadn't been at this company more than four years. So it's not um, it's not hard to do, but I think being able to create and foster that type of, of entrepreneurial, safe, I'm rewarded and I can actually see my contribution and I'm not stuck in what you think I can be, but I can set my own goals and be whatever and even use some of those as uh, an opportunity to see, you know, if it's successful or not through this innovation office or whatever mechanism you have. I think that's a phenomenal thing because it's rewarding um, these newer folks that are looking for, uh, you know, jobs. And again, I, we can talk about comp and, and remote and all that stuff, but I think those day-to-day -day interactions that help them see their value, that's huge. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of having an innovation office that focuses not only on product innovation, but also empowering employees. You know, it reminds me, I read this great book called Creativity Inc. by the president of Pixar, where he was talking about how great ideas can come from anyone. They can come from leaders who have been with the company for years or from brand new employees um, who are still sort of at an amateur level. So I think an innovation office like that sort of um, uh, is a great testament to how that can work. 
So I think that's a great and, answer. And can I add one more thing to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, because I know that this will probably, maybe I shouldn't add it, but this this will make me sound controversial, but it really shouldn't be. Um, what we're going to embrace or have to embrace, and we've done this at, at Insurity, and I know carriers that are doing this now, is embrace the fact that you're going to lose employees. Like everyone wants to retain everyone. We know we can't, right? But then you have to find ways to attract and develop and set free, not just attract, not, not just develop and not just retain, but also set free, build them up. I mean, the message to the market and to the people that are considering your organization, that this is a place to grow, develop and prosper in life in line with your personal goals, not just the corporate goals here, is received far better than forced loyalty. You know, we have to embrace this reality and, and turn it in our favor. How do we help these individuals that have this frame of mind meet their end goal while also helping us meet ours, as opposed to always imposing this goals and strategies that are all corporate and having them have to kind of shoehorn into that. Um, that's another reason retention is, is difficult because folks feel like they're stifled. Yeah, Sorry. that makes a lot of sense. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a piece of the conversation we don't talk about often is how to empower employees, not just to stay with the company, but also, you know, for their future career goals with, you know, other companies as well um, in the trajectory of their career. So I think that's a great point. And um, I know we have just a couple minutes left, but we've spoken a lot so far about your advice for insurers and how they can create a work environment that attracts talent. Um, but on the side of insurance employees as well, what's your best advice for them to continue developing their skills and growing their careers in an industry that's changing so rapidly? Wow, this I'll tell you exactly. Well, probably not exactly, but I'll tell you what I what I said to the students yesterday because they asked me this question. I told them to embrace their personal goals. I said, if if you don't have personal goals, set set them before you do anything else. Figure out what those are. And and nothing in our careers is more frustrating than watching the world change around us and not understanding how it impacts us or my plans or our plans, be it a career or personal. Um, and and those things have to be aligned. So. Whether it's uh, an underwriter today that's been in the business, you know, five years, 15 or 20 years, and we see automation introduced through underwriting workbench and AI and machine learning and, and new distribution models using NGAs, you know, go back to your goals and evaluate how these changes that are happening around us, how do we incorporate those to help us achieve our goals? Um, it's not a perceived displacement. If you understand your goals, you'll find alignment and how you need to then take that opportunity to say, this is an opportunity for me to help achieve my goals. This is not a barrier to my goals. And if we can start to view the world through that, then they'll, they'll keep up. I mean, they'll keep up because they'll be a part of the change and they'll use that change to empower their own success or help fuel, fuel their own success. But then you also have a hunger for the things that it informs. If I understand the change around me and how it impacts my success, then I'm going to know other things around that change that I need to either go out and pursue understanding or gaining more experience in, or I may need to ask for more responsibility to become more closely aligned with that change. So it doesn't encumber me, it helps me. And I, in turn, help the organization that I'm employed by uh, meet their goals with this newer um, technology or whatever that's changing environment is. The world's going to change, right? It always has. And and but when we view change in the context context of how it, you know, relates to our goals, that empowers us to adapt and win. And I think that what I what I, you know I try to tell, especially the newer folks, is you are in control. It's what you know about your goals, what you set 
that becomes the lens through which you view change. And if you view change through that lens, you're going to make the solid decisions that move you forward in your career. If you view it the opposite by having those goals imposed on you and now you don't understand the impact, you're going to have anxiety and you're going to miss opportunity. And that's just not a way to live life. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, change can be a little bit unsettling at times, but there's so much that we can learn from it. So I love that. And this has been a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. No, thank you. This has been fantastic. Thank you for having the call. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Darren and Sylvester for taking the time to speak with me. And thanks to all of you for listening. Once again, my name's Elizabeth Lossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. The Insuring Cyber Podcast is now available on all major streaming platforms, so be sure to check back for new episodes publishing every other Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.